0: Hey, everybody, thanks for downloading this episode of the Chicago Podcast Network's Out Front with AJ and Nick. You can find us on Twitter under Chicago Podcast Network. You can find us on Gmail, Chicago podcast Network at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook on our page there, Chicago Podcast Network. And most importantly, you can support the show by downloading and subscribing to this podcast and all Chicago Podcast Network podcasts through iTunes, Android, and any other device that you use. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks everybody, and here we go. Thank you for downloading this episode of Out Front with AJ and Nick. I am Nick Sarantos, joined over the air, uh, over the internet on Skype by my good buddy AJ Signeri. Today's topic, we're going to be talking about museums in Chicago, but more specifically, the plans for the new museum, the new George Lucas Museum of Narrative Art that is proposed to be opening on the city's lakeshore right near Soldier Field. Uh, you can kind of throw this in with the rest of the pop culture phenomenon that is Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, the movie I am the most ex- excited to see in my life, and uh, apparently so is the rest of the world. Uh, so, what I would like to do is kind of open it up. AJ, you want you came to me with this topic, so why don't you uh, go ahead and get us started here in our conversation today.
1: Well, I mean, so, one of the things I love about Chicago is that there's a lot of... Um, cultural institutions that make Chicago great. There's the Art Institute, the Field Museum, Shed Aquarium, the Planetarium, Museum of Science and Industry, and there's like some other <clears throat> smaller things that are not really out there in the public as much and everything. And when I heard about the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art, one, I was like, why? Secondly, to what the hell is a museum? It in my of, narrative heart. Yeah, exactly. What <laughs> the hell know, does that even mean? So I'm always intrigued when people come up with certain names. It's like, why are you naming like that? You know, you just kind of like put some words together and say, voila, let's we'll see if it works and slap my name behind it and people will come. And that's what it feels like what's going on here is that George Lucas, you know, if I remember right, he graduated or his wife graduated from the University of Chicago. No, that's I...
0: actually not true. Uh, I looked up, I, I did some research before we started today. Here's how it breaks down George Lucas was married to a woman from 1969 to 1983. They got divorced in 83. He then uh, raised their children alone for a majority of the 80s and early 90s, which is why George Lucas wasn't really involved in filmmaking during that time period. Uh, in 2007, he met. Uh, Melody Hobson, who was the president of Aerial Investments, uh, she graduated from St. Ignatius uh, High School, but she ended up going to Princeton, and she got a bachelor's degree from Princeton's Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. This is, of course, according to Wikipedia, so take it as you will. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, that's that's how the that that's the Chicago connection. Nobody went to the University of Chicago. The only thing attached to George Lucas that went to the University of Chicago was, in fact, little-known trivia: Indiana Jones.
1: Right, but but I also know Lucas gives money to University of Chicago, also.
0: Right, I, and and, and that, that's definitely a factor in it. The but as you said, you know the plans for this were announced what two years ago? Basically, when you and I were starting at the other radio right. station was right. when this conversation started. It was after the $4 billion Lucasfilm sale to uh, Disney. Mm-hmm. And you know he was going to take part of this money and open up this museum. Originally, it was going to be in San Francisco, then in L.A. Both of those cities rejected the proposal, and apparently his wife went, well, let's go to my hometown, and uh, all you need to do is bribe the right people, and you can get
1: beautiful property right there on the lakefront. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, when you go to, like, the Lucas Museum website, you know, there's a part, there's a link up there that says a new museum for Chicago. And it literally says this, that the first museum of its kind, its unique collection of feature popular art from illustration to comics, an insider perspective to cinematic creative process and boundless potential... Of digital medium, so they're essentially challenging what museums should be from this point forward. Now in Chicago, but in the museum and cultural institution scene and everything, which you know I'm all for pushing back um, in the institution and making them doing one thing, but. At the same token, you kind of feel like, you know, then what is the purpose of said museum? You know, when you want to learn about various things, you know, you go to the places that I just mentioned, as well as like, the DuSable Museum for African-American History, the National Museum of Mexican Art, the National Museum- Well here,
0: let me tell you something. You know, we talk about museums in Chicago. If you just do, these are the museums that are listed just in Chicago. Gilmore right. Car Museum, Terra Museum, Arts Club of Chicago, Ukrainian National Museum, the Ukrainian right. Institute of Modern. I'm going to I'm going to do the whole list. Hyde Park Art Chicago, Art Institute of Chicago, Polish Museum of Chicago, German Submarine at the Museum of Science and Industry, Bronzeville uh, Museum, the mm-hmm. Museum of Lithu- uh, Lithuanian Culture, Museum of Broadcast Communications, Veterans Art Museum, Hellenic Museum. the... Driehaus Museum, which is the like one of the houses, Museum mm-hmm. of Contemporary Photography, Museum of Surgical Science, Museum of uh, Smart Museum of Art, Swedish American Museum, the Loyola Museum of Art, the University of Chicago Oriental Institute, Children's Chicago or Child Chicago's Children's Museum, DuSable Museum of African of African American Culture. That's the one you were talking about. National Museum of Mexican Art. Peggy Nobart uh, Nature Museum, the Adler Planetarium, Museum of Contemporary Art Chicago, the Art Institute Chicago, Field Museum of National History, and of course the Museum of Science and Industry. Those are just top of the list. It doesn't even include the most important museum we have in the Chicagoland area, the Volo Auto Museum, where you can see the Batmobile. Right. Which is the most important museum we have, AJ. I would appreciate your agreement on that.
1: It's it's okay.
0: Oh. Uh, if you can't see a Batmobile at a museum, it's not really a museum <laughs> okay That's why Six Flags is the best museum around here. They have the nineteen eighty nine anton first Batmobile right I know the design the name of the designer. I need help but, uh but ahead, the things I think you just
1: mentioned you know a better part of them are either free um have low admission and those who have high admission because of the location that they're at and they're most of more readily accessible for people and everything and you know the things I've been to in New York they're great you know um they are but I always found Chicago as a nice city that has all these great institutions you know and they and I feel like even though they're older, they still try to keep things a little bit more fresh and keeping up with certain trends or make certain trends. Like, remember when Sue came to the Field Museum? Like, that was the place you went to, to see a whole Tyrannosaurus Rex. You know, I mean, that was something that was really cool. When Pluto was taken off as a planet, people went to the Adler Planetarium. And everything so all these places are like connected to the things that we know and love and that's why I love Chicago for the cultural institutions that they it has
0: the interesting thing to me when it comes to the idea of I, I want to talk about first of all you would mention and, and this is the right thing to do is there a museum in Chicago that you prefer going to more than the
1: others Ooh. That's a very good question. Um, hands down, Museum of Science and Industry.
0: Really? Because I'm a field
1: museum guy. Field museum is great. Um, it really is. For me, the, muse- um, the Museum of Science and Industry is, it has the science, which I like. It's got the um, U-boat. It has a U boat But more importantly, the building itself is something I love because it's the last remaining building from the World's Fair of
0: 1893. Okay. I, I, I have a, just a nostalgic thing in my heart for the Field Museum because when I was a kid, uh, my grandma would take me and my sister. They used to do this thing there called Overnights at the Field Museum. And yes. it was like a lock-in, and so we went three times. Uh, and I have always had like a little bit of insomnia. So after everybody else would go to sleep, I'd wake up at, or I'd get up at like 2 in the morning and I'd just go wander around the Field Museum by myself at night, which was really cool until at the age of 10, I found myself in the mummy exhibit, the, the Cairo exhibit in the, in the basement, <laughs> which during the day when it's lit up is whatever. But at night, you, every scary story you've ever heard is suddenly playing in your brain.
1: So when you saw the Ben Stiller movie, Night in the Museum, it kind of brought back some... Uh, honestly, it's why
0: I love those movies, Dan and Robin Williams as Teddy Roosevelt, but right. but I love that movie because it just reminds me of those nights with as a kid with my sister and my grandma. I had so much fun doing that. But the, So I'm always a Field Museum guy. I love the gemstones. I love the history and stuff that they do. But don't get me wrong, Science and Industry Museum, great. I love the Planetarium, or as they say on South Park, the Planetarium, and... Uh, I'm not as big a fan of the shed because I don't really, I'm not a zoo person or an animal person, so I don't really care about the fish. But I think mm-hmm. I, it's very, very beautiful when you're inside uh, the shed. But all those museums, you know, you go to Science and Industry, you know, you've got, you know, it's what it says. It's about science and industry. It's got that cool exhibit about the history of, I, I don't want to say capitalism, but like American brands. Mm -hmm. where you kind of go through and it shows you like a 1950s house when it's being branded. The Field Museum's got all the great dinosaur stuff. Like I said, the gemstones, uh, ancient culture, the anthropology stuff at the Field Museum is fantastic. Uh, Planetarium has a lot of really cool stuff, but my favorite thing is they have the, both actually both Science and Industry and Adler have the lunar module uh, orbiter simulator thing where you have to land the orbiter. Or, or connect with the orbiter with the thing, which is one of my favorite things to go do there. But those museums are all great, and they serve a purpose. Now you can get into the other stuff. Like I don't, I mean I don't know about you, but I've not, I, I'm Greek. I've never been to the Hellenic Museum. Uh, maybe I should go, but I'm not going to. We worked across the street at the other radio station from the Ukrainian Museum,
1: or mm-hmm. the Polish.
0: I'm sorry, the Polish Museum. Don't, right. Don't want to get those mixed up. And. Mm-hmm. and <laughs> And you know, I've been to the Broadcast Museum. You know, when I my, one of my first things I ever did in radio is I went and uh, was on Chuck Shaden's uh, old time radio show that used to be on NPR. And it, it's it's a cool place, but all of them seem to serve some sort of purpose. Now, I just don't know if a narrative art museum is something we really need. One of are you in the same boat as me? Do you feel like it's one of those things where you're like, I don't know if this is a museum that's necessary?
1: But that's, that's the thing, and I guess part of me wants to talk about this is that there's going to be a brand-new American writer museum in Chicago that just features writers in the United States. And something like that... So it's I, what, Steinbeck... With- And Stephen King and Maya
0: Angelou. I mean, that's you know important writers. I guess you could throw in who am I? (laughs) Who else am I missing in there? Mark Twain, you know the big the big ones.
1: Carl Sandburg.
0: Okay, I mean, I we could name many other ones. We know we could get into it, but I just Brooks. Okay, don't just start naming American writers because it all begins and ends with Stephen King. Okay, he's the only American writer that matters.
1: That's here nor there. Okay. Um, but so, like, that museum I just mentioned, you know, uh, that's really great, and when I hear the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art, one, (laughs) a part of me feels, okay, there's, there has to be a little bit of ego into doing this, you know, and then secondly, I guess what makes me more irked about it is that it's going to be, like you said, right by Soldier Field, right on the lakefront, you know? And Rob Emanuel and Denny Solis, who's an alderman in the Pilsen neighborhood, is trying to get funding for this by making that area a TIF district. So there is a $7.8 billion spending plan for this, you know, and you have someone like George Lucas, he's, he's worth what? Four point eight million, if not billion. Well, we know
0: for no, we know for sure that he's worth at least four. As of two thousand and twelve, he's worth at least four point eight billion dollars because that money went right to him. Now he gave, I think, half of it away already, so two billion. And to me, though, it's the kind of museum like you're talking about, ego project. It doesn't. This the field museum to me serves a purpose. It's it's a place that schools can take kids. You know, at the at the, wor- at the very least, you know, the place that schools can take kids to, to get hands-on experience with history. Science and Industry Museum, same thing. Shed, Planetarium. You know, the big four in the city. I'll even give you the Art Institute, which I hate, but I understand why other people like it. I just, I'm not a painting person. Uh, I'm not animals and I'm not painting. I'm not very cultured. But I do have culture coming out my ass. Uh, it's a line from seven. The... <laughs> But you're talking about, you know, the tax incremental funding. You're talking about putting, you know, tax dollars down on this museum that for all intents and purposes is a private museum. It doesn't serve a public interest, which to me, if you're not serving the public interest of the city, you shouldn't be getting tax incentives. Now, I'm not saying that George Lucas is doing this to make a profit, but at the same time, like you're saying, it seems like an ego project. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, this is coming from, and... I'm going to get a little hyperbolic here, but this is coming from the creator, right? Like, if you... He is that. He is the creator of arguably the most important pop culture phenomenon of the last hundred years. You can make that argument for Star Wars. Uh, It's just a cultural touchstone for everybody. And he came up with the idea, but if you go back... uh, Allow me a little sidetrack here. Do you... If I say the name Bill Finger, do you know who Bill Finger is?
1: The name... Bill the name Finger rings a bell, but I can't. Okay, but if I say the, the name, name Bob Kane, do you know who Bob Kane is? Not Bob Kane, no.
0: Bob Kane created Batman, right? If you watch a Batman movie, if you read a Batman comic, it always says Batman created by Bob Kane. Now, the Batman that Bob Kane created was called Owlman. He wore red. He carried guns, and he had no tragic backstory. He turned it over to a staff writer of his named Bill Finger, who changed him to Batman, dressed him in black and purple, and said that his parents had been murdered when he was a kid. The the, the basic tropes, the, the important parts of Batman. So in that argument, who really created Batman? Bill Finger did. With Star Wars, there's a writer. His name is Lawrence Kasdan. Lawrence Kasdan wrote Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi except for the parts of Jedi that are very much a George Lucas piece. The reason that I'm mentioning this is, George Lucas, for the most part, he has gotten credit for a lot of other people's work. And he, to his credit, he's not the kind of guy who sits there and says it was all me. He's never done that. But he's given the, the credit for it, when realistically all the stuff that we love about Star Wars mainly comes from Empire Strikes Back. Like Jedi, Sith, all that's from the first one, but for the most part, the really good narrative story structure, the part that hooks you into those stories is all-time classics is Empire, which is Lawrence Kasdan's movie. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is to say that George Lucas now is going to open a museum for narrative art when realistically his contribution to the field is, is, is not the same as... It's not as grandiose as people would put it out to be, but also, it's Star Wars. George Lucas is Star Wars. I don't think George Lucas and go, oh, all-time great. You know what I mean? Like, if you were to say, we're going to get the Francis Ford Coppola Museum of uh, Narrative Arts, I feel like that's a different thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, he's, a, he's an auteur director. He's a master filmmaker. Give you another example. The Steven Spielberg Museum of Narrative Arts, mm-hmm. Right. This is a master storyteller. He's done it in all different genres. George Lucas has one film credit to his name that's really his, and that's the first Star Wars episode, four New Hope. Indiana Jones is mainly Spielberg, you know. Empire and Return of the Jedi, Lawrence Kasdan. The three prequels are George Lucas. That there you go. Red Tails, George Lucas. Howard the Duck, George Lucas. The are you noticing a pattern here? Mm-hmm. So. I just don't know what George Lucas really has to say on the thing of narrative arts. Not to mention we're we're dancing around the most important thing about this museum, AJ. The most important thing. What's that? If I tell you that I'm going to the George Lucas Museum, I expect to have drinks served to me by a little R2-D2. I want to see an X-Wing. I want to see the set from, you know... Tatooine, from Luke's house. Those are the stuff that I want to see at the George Lucas Museum, which is what it's going to be called. You can call it the Museum for Narrative Arts, but for the next 20 years, it's going to be, hey, that's the George Lucas Museum, and you're going to go there expecting to see Star Wars crap, and it's not going to be there, and you're going to get mad. Right? Not to mention the fact that it's being opened at a, at a spot in the city that could be used for so many better things.
1: Right. I mean I mean have you seen the Lucas Museum website?
0: Yeah, that's I was on that uh, for a few hours this morning looking at everything.
1: So you, so you know the kind of categories of art that they're going to have, right? Yeah,
0: narrative art, art of cinema and digital art.
1: Right. So they have, so they have like the illustrations, children's art, comic art, pin-up art and photography, you know? Right. So and believe me, I I, I mean when I hear, like, comic art, I kind of hope there's going to be a lot of Charles Schulz's stuff in there. Um, Bud Fisher, you know, Harold Gray. Uh,
0: I want to see some Jack King Kirby, early Marvel 60s stuff. I want to see... I want to see a lot of Frank Miller. I mean, if you're going to tell me that you're doing comic art, then I want you to hit the actual stars. One of the things that drives me nuts with modern pop culture when it comes to people like... and, And, again, like George Lucas or... It also happens in comedy. You know, the thing of, well, comedians find this funny. Yeah, but most regular people don't find it funny. And, mm-hmm. you know, film, films that are made for, like the Academy Awards every year, there's at least seven movies that get nominated for awards that filmmakers really like. But to the average audience, it ain't crap. And I fear that that's, this is the kind of museum that George Lucas is making. It's for people who, the wine, you know what it is? It's the wine snobs of art.
1: And, and, that's, and that's the thing, and going back to your point of, you know, this is, this is more of a private institution than a public one. You know, I would have been more excited about this if it was a public museum and you got, like, University of Illinois Chicago's art department involved um, and trying to get other collaborative organizations involved with this versus – you know, I have money, but I'm going to ask the city to offset the costs through a TIF district and certain other endowments in order to get this going. And I'm going to make it what I feel it should be, you know. And you're right. You know, George Lucas has made huge strides when it comes to cinema and how all of us are really excited about, you know, Star Wars and a few other things, but doesn't mean he has you have to agree on everything that he does.
0: No, and, and, and if you watch episode one and two, and a lot of episode three, there's a lot to disagree with. If you watch Howard the Duck, that Howard the Duck is, is George Lucas's vision of a Steve Gerber comic, and it fails horribly you know it's, it's it's a terrible movie and and it is i don't i won't hear anything back it's a terrible movie it doesn't gain anything with 20 years and you red tails is a terrible movie but i honestly i don't want his cinema as much as i like to talk smack about george lucas and we could all day you know i i don't want this to be like oh because he made some bad movies you shouldn't do the museum i think it comes down to this for me if you're going to sit there and for Put it to you another way. If Bill Gates was opening up the Museum of Computer Design on Chicago's side there, I don't think Bill Gates is going to go for public money from the city of Chicago. He's going to pay for it out of pocket. If you're doing this for the out of the goodness of your heart, then pay for it out of your own damn pocket. Do not ask the city to come in and partially fund your museum. Mm-hmm. Right? And I don't know if that's on him or if it's on the people who are running the project, but in any way you look at it, it's a bad policy to have you have the money to do it yourself chicago is in the middle of the worst budget crisis crisis of its history and you are for, you know putting them in a position where if they want to garner tourism which that's the other thing about this i, I don't see this as a major tourist attraction do you
1: no and and i guess you know is the star wars movie coming out well that and i know it's going to be some time for this to be built but with everything that is the culmination of George Lucas's work, um, is he going to ride the coattails of fandom in order for people to go right into it?
0: You mean uh, basically uh, kind of manipulate fans to be interested in seeing it based on the fact that the movie is coming out and is so popular right now? Right. Yeah, I, if they had it open in time, sure. I'll, I'll tell you this I guarantee you at some point there'll be a premiere at that museum, right? Like they'll do it there, and that'll be a big thing. But that's a one day thing. I I I go to Washington D.C. I want to go to the Smithsonian Institute because they have all the cool stuff that I liked when I was growing up. The museum, uh, I think it's the Smithsonian Museum of National or of Natural History, right? It's the one that's got Indiana Jones's leather jacket, and it's got you know all the props from all the different movies. It's got the red slippers. It's got you know the desk that Mark Twain wrote on, and you know that kind of stuff is cool. What are you going to have at this? All you've said so far is it's a museum of narrative art. Okay, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. And I'm not excited for you to open your museum on my uh, on that spot with your futuristic-looking, bizarre, egg-shaped house that's going to take over the, the skyline there and just look really bizarre... And get paid for by taxpayer money, but still be a privately run institution. If you're getting taxpayer money, then the city should have some say as to what goes in there. There should be a focus on local artists. There should be, you know, places for kids to be able to do some stuff. And everything you're seeing is just well, we're going to have a bunch of old pictures, we're going to have a bunch of old you know, narrative stuff from the 1800s. Well, nobody cares about that stuff, and you're not driving tourists here with your George Lucas Museum of Narrative Arts. No one's going to... To me, it feels like one of those places that's going to get built, it's going to have a little bit of hype for a few months, and then it's going to stand basically empty for a really
1: long time. And I guess the other feature to Lucas Museum of Narrative Art is that there's also a game like this portion of the art of cinema where they're going to have you know, prop design, set design makeup, creature design, animation visual effects and kind of display on how certain films done certain things um, like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea um, The Thief of Baghdad Yeah, but here you're talking like about
0: you're talking about movies that are so old that people aren't going to care. I'm sorry, nobody cares about how they made 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Nobody cares. People barely care about how Jaws got made, and that's one of the most interesting stories in the history of cinema. Most people don't care about how Apocalypse Now got made, and that is, if, if you don't know, if people don't know, look up into the making of, watch the movie Heart of Darkness. It's a documentary on the making of Apocalypse Now, and you will watch three men slowly lose their minds, like on film even those, those are movies from the 70s and I don't think that they would drive people to come go see it, let alone movies from the 1930s, that's what, when they announced this museum, and they were like, oh, well he's going to bring his personal collection, yeah, it's his personal collection, that doesn't mean the stuff that he owns from Star Wars, he sold the warehouse so what you're going to be getting is stuff from movies from the 1920s, 30s, and 40s and I'm sorry, And I am that guy. I love all movies. I love old movies. We did the Halloween Countdown show last week. And I talked to you about Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. But I don't care about how they made Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. And I sure as hell don't care about it now. Let alone, you know, in the 1930s when they did it. And that's the thing to me um, that drives me crazy with this. Is that you finds yourself looking at it all and going, I, I just I don't care about any of your exhibits. You're gonna show me twenty thousand leagues under the sea, which is the one you just pointed out. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. And I'm not gonna to go to a museum for it. And I don't think other people are either
1: Yeah, unless they're like real movie buffs.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And, and even then you know, and You know, like the other one they have is like set design as narrative art, which I'm sure that he's going to show, like, Star Wars Phantom Menace, Revenge of the Sith, um, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back. So I'm sure he's going to have stuff in there that features all of that stuff as well, as, as well as Lord of the Rings, maybe um, Metropolis and Citizens Kane.
0: But you're talking set design. Do you care about set design? I mean, realistically, I, I mean, I know in passing to talk about it, it can make a movie very good, but honestly, AJ, do you want to go to a museum to learn about how somebody painted up a set, or would you rather go to a museum, and and even even the visual effects stuff that they're talking about doing, like, I've, I've always loved special effects in movies, but I have very little interest in how it's done. Most people don't want to know how the sausage is made, and they don't care. The Academy... No.
1: No, but I mean, like, I, like I said before, I mean, I'm more into the cinematography of a movie than the movie itself.
0: Okay, that's fair, but let's be honest, you're a weird guy sometimes, and most people aren't. Most people don't care. Most people don't like to watch movies that are even very challenging. Let alone think about that kind of stuff, you know. And mm-hmm. and, and we can sit there and argue whether or not that's the whether or not it should be that way. But it's the way it is. Movies open all the time that are difficult to watch but they don't make a lot of money there's a reason why Oscar bait movies don't make the money that the Avengers does
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, people don't want to go to the movie theater a majority of the time and, and sit there and think, a great example to me in the last few years is 12 Years a Slave I, I, I think I talked about this with you not too long ago but it's a movie that I, I knew was going to be good if you watched it But I never felt any strong desire to watch it. I still haven't seen it and realistically don't ever want to watch it because I know what it's going to be about. It's going to be, you know, this guy suffered through just the most horrible injustices that have ever been perpetrated on a human being. And at the end, there's an uplifting twist. Okay, well, I've seen that story a thousand times. I don't care about the cinematography of it. I don't care how beautifully written it was. I go to a movie to be entertained. I go to a movie to have fun. And a movie that makes you think is... Generally speaking, you know, adult choice, there are ones that are good, there, but they're, for the most part, aren't what you go for. And a museum on the, on, in, in prime real estate in the city of Chicago, dedicated to, in my opinion, some of the most boring aspects of filmmaking just seems like a really bad idea.
1: Well, and that also goes back to, well, not going to go back to, As we were saying before, is that, you know, what is the real drive for Lucas for doing this? It's almost in line of like the Obama library also in that at one point in time, I thought going to a presidential library was really cool. As I have seen other presidential museums and and trying to learn more about what their purpose is, It's nothing more than a storage facility for them. Yeah. You know? And that's how I kind of view the Lucas Museum is that this is just his storage unit, if it were, that he's building. And saying, yeah, I've done this, but I'm going to have, like, an educational component to it. You know? And why take up space right there on Lakeshore Drive, right by the lake? because you just want to show things off. You know, you can open your house and do that.
0: (laughs) Well, and to me, there's also the aspect, you know, what you were saying there about, um, oh, my brain just completely froze. No, the presidential libraries, if you think about it, there's at least a historical precedent for presidential libraries, Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 a thing. You don't usually have filmmakers making these kinds of elaborate museums all over, you know, the country. Granted, most people don't have George Lucas's money to be able to do this, but even more so than a presidential library, which again, it's expected. You get in the president, you're going to be you're going to have a presidential library. You get to be George Lucas, and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to open up this giant monstrosity here right next to soldier field which has its own you know skyline issues and it just looks like honestly if you look at that museum next to soldier field it looks like like an like a pot like a cooking pot and someone took the lid off of soldier field and then put the lid down next to soldier field is that you know understand what i'm saying
1: Or it's another alien pod like what Soldier Field looks like.
0: Yeah, Independence Day, that really happened. Um, The thing to me, though, that that I'm really interested in when it comes to this George Lucas Museum is, again, you're going to use taxpayer money to be able to do this. What purpose do you really... Again, I think you're right. It feels like an ego project. It feels like... You're doing this just to do it. And if you're going to do that, that's fine. But then pay for it out of your own damn pocket.
1: Right. You know, I'd much rather go to the Gene Siskel Film Center in Chicago. Yeah, why don't you just give them a bunch
0: of money and your collection? Because it doesn't have his name on it. That's why. You know? I guess. I mean, do you disagree with me on that? I mean, why not just, if you're going to be George Lucas, you're going to give this money. Why not give that money to the Cisco Film Center here in Chicago?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can do that or uh, University of Southern California Film School or any other film school. And, yeah, I mean, I'd much rather have him do that kind of things than, you know, open his own museum. And, and, and again, why Chicago and why not? In California, or somewhere else. Or in Orlando. In Chicago, other than it's the middle, and he has connections in Chicago.
0: I honestly think that no, I don't think any cities wanted it. I really don't. I don't think San Francisco wanted it because their property values are skyrocketing right now as a result of the new tech boom and Google being out there so they don't want to waste the money on a publicly funded, you know, tax hole that's not going to generate revenue. LA didn't want it because they're just chock full of that crap anyway and their cityscape is constantly changing. I'm imagining there's nowhere to put it in New York realistically with that kind of, you know, sightline. And Chicago has constantly become this city where well, if the other towns don't want you, we'll take you and we'll give you all these benefits to come in and do this stuff and it in the long run hurts us because you could theoretically with that spot in the city build basically anything with that location and have it be a pretty cool thing and instead, you know, I'm looking at the overhead view now. If you if you look at it, it's you know, there it's right across from Northerly Island. It's right near it, it's on the museum campus, right? mm mm-hmm. Mhm. The Museum of Narrative Art. We already have the Art Institute here. We have the Contemporary Art Institute. We have the Museum of Broadcasting. If you wanted to do this with like the Museum of of I don't know. I honestly don't even know what else you would do. I don't. I honestly feel like Chicago doesn't need a museum right now. It needs it needs stuff that generates money. And I don't feel the George Lucas Museum, a privately funded yet st- a privately owned taxpayer funded museum, is the answer. To getting tourists to come here, do
1: you? No, and you know, back to your point about you know San Francisco may not may not want it because of the value of property and everything. As of the 28th of October, you know, the city city of Chicago voted 36 to 14 of passing um, tax hikes property tax hikes, you know, of $588 million over four years. Right. So having that and the Lucas Museum going in, which will be in a TIF district, which means the state of Chicago will be getting a revenue while everything else will be getting a, a hike, you know, then that makes the state of Chicago more wealthy and not even getting the nice things that we need, that Chicago should have and everything, you know. So, I I mean, this is more of a burden for the city of Chicago than actually an improvement.
0: And and again, if you're going to
1: do that,
0: then make sure that you're serving some sort of public interest and, and, and not just opening up this weird collect, like you're saying, like a storage facility for all your weird crap that nobody cares about. Because it's going to be this shiny new looking building on the museum but on the south side. But once you go there, it strikes me as being the kind of museum you maybe go to once, which is a horrible thing. Like you said, the field museum, the shed, science and industry, they all do all this stuff to constantly be changing, to give you a reason to go back. There are people who go. You know, once a month to those things because they change so many different things. And and this Lucas Museum, everything about it just feels like a bad idea. It feels like a waste of taxpayer money. It feels like a waste of prime real estate. It feels like it's putting allegiance next to a guy who clearly doesn't know how to make film anymore. And... The more I, the more you think about it, the more it just seems like such. Honestly, man, it's just, it just it, it's the wastefulness of it. It feels like such a waste and such a waste of of city government's time dealing with this crap for a place that no one is going to want to go to.
1: Right. So let's just say that they came to you and said, Nick, we want you to be one of the directors of. This museum because you're such a movie person and we like your vision. What would be the top three things that you would do program wise in that kind of museum?
0: Uh, rotating. I would do rotating exhibits on certain things. Uh, I mentioned the comic book stuff. If you want to do that, there is a there is a market for you know highlighting certain comic book artists. But what I wouldn't do here's I can tell you what I wouldn't do. I would focus on the stuff that people care about. I wouldn't have a focus on obscure films or movies that are so old that nobody gives a a damn about them anymore. Uh, I, I would focus on pop culture points. I would hit... I think if you want to tell the story of the history of narrative art, that's fine. But then you need to do it in a way that people relate to. Don't force your story down their throat. And by your story, I don't mean George Lucas's. I mean the way that you see the narrative. Use the popular touchstones that everybody knows. If you're going to do narrative art, you start, yeah, with silent film. Fine. Or let's say you're doing cinema. You start with silent film. You explain where silent film comes from. You explain Thomas Edison. Explain how sound was brought in. Talk about the movie The Music Man. Get into, you know, colorization of movies with The Wizard of Oz. Don't talk to me about, oh, well, the actual first movie was this, because nobody cares about that. What they care about is The Wizard of Oz. Talk about that movie and how it changes cinema forever because it's such a wonderful tale. If you want to get into the 60s stuff, you know, I'd start dealing with Gone with the Wind and... uh, Casablanca, get into film noir of the 40s and 50s, talk about the American film renaissance of the 19 of the late 1940s early 1950s, the rise of horror pictures, but using the actual horror pictures that people cared about. Do Dracula Frankenstein, Bela Lugosi stuff, you know, get into that kind of thing. This is just for the cinema stuff, but use those touchstones to tell the story. Don't just have, oh, well, this is a camera that Orson Welles used to make on the waterfront. How many people our age have seen on the waterfront? Probably 10%. And realistically, I'm not saying that they should even see it, because it's as much as it's a great movie, it is a product of its time, like all movies are. But I would use it to tell the if you want to do honestly you're going to do the museum of narrative art then make it a goddamn narrative. Does that make sense?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: If you're going to do comic books, you're going to do digital art. You know, digital art is not a an, is not something new. So what are you going to what what realistically? What is your museum on digital art going to be? It's going to be exhibits of current digital art, which is fine, but that's not going to drive people to your damn museum. You want to do comic books? Fine, but focus on don't show me that Andy Warhol, or you know, all the weird comic book art from the 70s. I don't care about that crap. Show me the evolution of Batman. Show me the evolution of Superman. Show me how comic books change when Stan Lee and Jack Kirby start making the Fantastic Four. How Steve Ditko and Stan Lee changed the game again with Spider-Man. Get into Frank Miller and Alan Moore's Watchmen. You know, talk about those major events. Have exhibits about those things. Don't Sit there and go because look, even when you, you mentioned their website, right? Mm-hmm. What's on their website? It's a picture of this is even Citizen Kane. I think, yeah, no, that's from Citizen Kane. The the you know widely regarded as the best movie ever made. Have you watched Citizen Kane in the last twenty years?
1: Uh in the last twenty years, yes. Okay. Do you like that movie? It's not my favorite movie, but it's probably in my top fifteen. Really? I hate that movie.
0: I think it's one of the I think it's one of the most overrated films of all time. There is no greater moment for me talking about that movie than when Family Guy does the thing where Peter records over the tape. It shows the opening scene with the snow globe and the guy dies and does the rosebud. Yeah. And it cuts to just Peter Griffin on the videotape going, "It's a sled. It's his sled. I just saved you two and a half hours. It's his goddamn sled." And the thing ends. That's how I feel about that movie. But also. You and I have many times I said, "Look at my friends Laura and Nicole as the, the like the barometers of what normal people care about." Right? Mm-hmm. They're not going to care about Citizen Kane. They don't care about Citizen Kane. You want to talk about you know movies that that change the genre and change the way? You mentioned Citizen Kane, sure, but get into Jaws, the modern blockbuster. That's that's a story that people should know. You know, it was the first movie ever widely released at the same time on multiple screens across the country. That's the kind of stuff that people want would be more interested in. But you're going to focus on the obscure or on the on the ancient in a, in a, in a field where people don't... Narrative art, storytelling, is very much a product of the time in which the stories are told. Read a comic from the 1960s, it's it's nothing like a comic book nowadays, right? The stories don't work the same. Watch a movie, watch, read a book from different time periods, and they feel very different, as they should. The problem with that is that learning about that stuff historically is interesting if you're going to be in that field. If you're not in that field, I don't think the interest is there for, for to be worthy of this museum. This isn't... The Field Museum does... Anthropological stuff, ancient cultures, you know, paleontology, this is where the world comes from, the Museum of Science and Industry, this is what humankind has accomplished on its own, this is what you are capable of as a species, right, the Adler Planetarium, look up into the stars and wonder, are we but alone in this universe, look at the vast number of astrological uh, or, or astronomical you know, phenomenon that occur just within our visual realm. The Shed Planetarium, look at how little you know about your own planet. Look at the kind of creatures that exist just in the surface water. This doesn't even get into the stuff that exists at the bottom of the ocean where terrors are born. Those have, you know, things that grab you, things that make you interested in them. You go to the auto show in Chicago. It's a great example of this. They have classic cars. They have classic cars for movies. And those are amazing things, man. But what does the car show mainly? It's the new stuff. It's the stuff coming out that's shiny and brand new. And that's what people like with movies and, and, and storytelling. They like the new stuff. People, most people don't re-watch movies a hundred times. You know, people like me who do that are rare. Most people watch a movie once, maybe twice, store it away, and never watch it again. you you, you can't focus on the the history of cinema is interesting in a way but it's not that it's really not that interesting it really isn't, it's just logical progressive steps in storytelling structure you know, honestly if you wanted to do a museum about the narrative art, the history of cinema there's an entire museum to be built just along based on what he's talking about the making of the visual effects for Star Wars I've watched all those documentaries. I've read all of those books. It's a fascinating story how somebody comes in and basically has to hand-create special effects.
1: hmm You know,
0: that's a story to be told, but to sit there and you go on this, and again, we can only go off of what's available on this website, narrative art. It's a picture from, like, the 1800s. Have a picture of Spider-Man there. That's a, that's a visual medium telling a narrative art story. Narrative, art, because you're a museum, you're trying, to my opinion, from what I see of this, it's going to be a pretentious place. I am not a man who appreciates people who are pretentious or arrogant about their stuff and go, well, this is important because I say it's important, which is what this museum feels like to me.
1: No, I think it's going to have um, a pretentious tinge to it. Um, and again, it goes right back to the name of the museum, the Lucas Museum, right? Um, because I think, like I said, it's I think it's very much ego driven than anything else. But to the point of the narrative art aspect to it, I hear where you're coming from and I agree to some of the things that you're talking about, but I I guess what I'm more interested is in how he's really defining narrative art. And if you go to like the website, you know he goes all the way back goes back to um, the Lettrell paintings in France where he's seeing, you know, caveman painting images, you know, telling that narrative. And he's also using, you know, there's an image of Greek pottery, which tells a narrative. You know, you go with the creation of Adam by Michelangelo, which is a narrative, so forth and so forth. So I'm, I'm more interested in how he's taking art Illustration, um, comics, photography, and how the museum is defining narrative because there's a lot of things in art that is narrative, and there's a lot of there's some art that's really not narrative, you know? Yeah. And so, it's one thing to show Picasso's Guernica, which I think I feel is a narrative, but Jackson Pollock's Autumn is not a narrative. <laughs> That's more of an expression than anything else. Um, even some of Andy Warhol stuff is not narrative, and he and he'll even tell you it's not even a narrative. Versus um, Basquiat's paintings is more of a narrative, as well as some expression and everything. So I'm more con- interested of in doing that stuff, and I and I also agree with you that you know show. The narrative of what the comics are expressing, because it's not just the face value that's entertaining. There's more to Batman, Spider Man, the X Men, the Avengers, and all that. There's more to it than that, and or or
0: show or show how the the cave paintings in France are just an ancient like show comparisons between the two. Which maybe they'll do, maybe they won't. And I have to defer to you when it comes, again, to painting. I'm not a fan of, of, of art that hangs on walls. I never have been, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, we can get into at some point later on. It's just I've never, I have never looked at a painting and had an
1: emotional reaction.
0: So No, and, no and,
1: and, and, that, and that's fine. I mean, I still remember my modern art class to this day and the room divided when they put up Duchamp's urinal and the professor says, this is art and there was a distinct <laughs> camps that no it's not and I was in the camp of yes it is <laughs> you know and to this day you know have these conversations about it because I mean you, you you know you and I can go out you know and we'll talk about the Watchmen and how it's art and why the narrative of the Watchmen is great and someone will look at it and be like that's not art
0: well you know it's it, what we're doing right now, whether people want to think about it or not, yeah, we're two dudes talking into microphones, but to me, art is the act of creating something from nothing, mm-hmm. which means the the interpretation of that is pretty wide open. You know, right now we're doing a show. There was no show. Now there is a show. Right. You know, that's art. I'm, I'm never going to be, to me, it's the same thing as the people who argue what is a sport and what isn't a sport you know to each person it's different it's all relative and i don't have a problem with people when i when it comes to this museum i don't even care really about the exhibits i care about the fact Look, we're coming up on the end of this. we got about another 10, 15 minutes left to go, so let me just get this out on the thing. I am not the biggest fan of George Lucas as a human being or as an artist, and there's nothing he's done as a human being that's necessarily bad. I just think he's an arrogant prick who got very lucky and ripped off a lot of great ideas from the 1940s and 50s, repackaged them in the 70s, re-released it, and then got credit for creating arguably the most important pop culture touchstone of the 20th century. I said that before, but... You have to give him credit for doing that, absolutely. But the way he talks about it is what, you know, oh, I had to do all of this, and it was all on my own, and all this. And it's like, you son of a bitch, you don't mention Ben, uh, ben Burt, who is one of the great sound effects generators of all time. You don't mention the fact in all of your stories that the thing that makes Star Wars work more than anything else, more than your bullshit cinematography which isn't great, or your horrible fades from scene to scene which are cheesy and out of a 1940's and have no place in modern cinema, even in the 70's, what makes your movies work is John Williams' score. Without John Williams' score, You're nothing, George Lucas. He originally wanted to do it with a disco soundtrack. Do you know that? No. Yeah, the original plan for the Star Wars movie was a disco soundtrack. Wow. Which would have killed that thing before it ever got off the ground. And it's the stuff like that where all of his original ideas are, generally speaking, bad. They are. They're, they're bad ideas. Look at the original artist conception that he came up with for Chewbacca. Originally, you know, Jabba the Hutt was just a fat gangster played by some British dude who wasn't very convincing. You go back and look at all of his original ideas, they're terrible. Even the Ewoks, which some people love, is a, is a horror... Narratively, you want to talk about narrative art? He's the one who decided to include Ewoks. Lawrence Kasdan wrote Wookiees. They decided to save money on the budget by doing Ewoks. Here's the problem with Ewoks. They were put in there for his kids which I have no problem with, except that it completely destroys the third act of the third act of that trilogy. Because, at the end of the day, your villain is not defeated by your heroes. Your villain is defeated by a bunch of teddy bears. (laughs) You laugh, but really think about it. That's what makes Return of the Jedi the the weak in comparison to Empire Strikes Back. If there are no Ewoks, if that story is exactly the same... But, you know, just through luck of Han Solo, Han Solo doesn't do anything heroic to get out of that problem. He stands there and waits for a bunch of teddy bears to save him. That That's not heroic. It's You need your protagonist to do stuff. And at the end of the day, who are the heroes of the entire Star Wars trilogy? It's Luke Skywalker and the Ewoks. That's it. Without the Ewoks, the Empire wins that last battle.
1: Right. No, I agree with you. I think, you know... I love Star Wars to this day. I I mean, obviously, I'm going to go watch the new Star Wars movie that's coming out, right? Um, I'm going to move into the theater. What? I'm just going to live in the theater. Right. Um, I like Indiana Jones to a point. Um, Not a huge fan of the film, but I also like American Graffiti. There's something to that narrative of what... American Graffiti is about,
0: and but again, a pro, very much a product of its time.
1: Exactly, but I also feel that George Lucas didn't make Lucas films. In other words, there was other people involved, and Lucas also knew how to attach himself to certain people to make a right. project go right,
0: like the, the the Bob Kane, Bill Finger thing from the beginning of the show.
1: Right, you know, and I mean, I also liked when he did Willow. You know, it was a flop, but I thought it was a great movie because I thought it was good. Um, How the Duck was okay. Was it great? No. no. It's
0: not okay. Have you watched it since you were a kid?
1: I have. It's I not still, good. I still laugh about it. <laughs> Play Duck. That's How the Duck. I mean, it's, I mean that's, you got to give it at that face value. It's. It's just How the Duck, you know? It's like... If, I was a su- if, if, if superheroes were real, they'd be like, hey, they'll have a drink with Howard the Duck with a beer, you know? And that's it. That's the extent of the relationship with any superhero with Howard the Duck.
0: Next time you know? you're in town, let me give you the Deadpool Howard the Duck comic that I was reading.
1: Deadpool and Howard the Duck?
0: Yeah, Howard the Duck is a Marvel character. so Right. So there, there's a lot of issues where he crosses over with other Marvel heroes, and one of them is Howard the Duck. And, he's, and Howard the Duck's at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy.
1: Well, in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I knew that. Um, and I know he, he's fought with the Guardians of the Galaxy before. But more to my point is this. Lucas also did the Lambrenth, that which is a Jim Henson film. Yeah. You don't hear George Lucas. You hear Jim Henson, but you'll hear George Lucas taking credit for doing the Lambrinth.
0: Which is such a Jim Henson like, it, that is Jim Henson's fingerprints from the beginning to the end.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: You know, that's his story. That's his creatures. Those are his voices. You know, it's his... You know, even... I'm willing to bet that if you go through it, like, all the things that are wrong with that movie are probably decisions that George Lucas made.
1: Right. But Lucas will say, you know, I was the producer or the executive producer for the Lambrinth, you know? So he... Gave money, or he got certain resources for it to go. But it was a Jim Henson workshop thing. It came out of the workshop. And people relate to the Lambert more to Jim Henson, but Lucas will give the credit because he was the producer.
0: Yeah, sometimes it seems like the title producer in Hollywood is just the name for someone who gets to take credit for other
1: people's very hard work. Right. And, you know, more and also more to the point of how he's an opportunist, he gave Star Wars to Disney.
0: Yeah. Though, as much as I hate that rat, you know, look, as much complaining as we can do about George Lucas as a person and uh, the way he basically did not... Here's the thing I would ask you before we get out of here. He's doing a museum of narrative art. When you go back and retroactively change your story in small ways, do you not at that point forfeit... I I guess to me, when you release something like Star Wars, Mm. the original, and it becomes what it became, and then in 1997, you decide you're going to tinker with it a little bit. I don't know if you have the right to do that. And, And I know that legally that you do, but... Do you feel like, personally to you, do you feel like when you watch those special edition movies and he makes all of these sweeping changes to the the narrative art that is Star Wars, most notably, and I will mention it, even though it does not exist in my head, and I now turn my head away when I watch the Blu-ray copies, when Han does not shoot first, you have drastically changed one of the most important characters in cinematic history and almost deliberately deleted his character arc from that trilogy by making that one change and I don't know if a guy has the right to do that but in his arrogance he goes well it's my movie I can do whatever the hell I want to it if I want to add in do-backs into the background scenes that look so terrible in comparison to the rest of the scene yeah I'll just
1: do that you know it, it bothers me no you can't do that
0: once I don't care you if it's rele- yours
1: and you can do it what the hell you want. No, you can't do that. Once you
0: release it, it becomes everyone's. Like it really does. That's how I've always
1: felt. I mean, it's almost like going back to a Horror Picture Show and Dr. Frankenfur not killing Eddie,
0: or removing all all, all all semblance of homosexuality, so you can show it at Walmart.
1: You know, you you just change the whole storyline. Right. Know, even that's a little, that's an aspect of the movie. That's still the butterfly effect to it. Like it's one thing when you're watching it on
0: T V and it's it's edited down for time. Okay. I would argue that you shouldn't be able to do that either, but fine, you can do that. But to just make drastic wholesale changes to stuff and then call yourself an artist and not a money grubber and to act like you've made all these decisions with all this artistic integrity at heart. When let's face it, anyone can look at your three prequels and know that you were attempting to make a merchandising machine. There are, uh, what the hell is it? Before we get out of here, do you know the story of, it's, it's the, other, the other star franchise, Star Trek. Do you know the story of the Live Long and Prosper hand signal?
1: Oh, I, someone
0: told me that once before. Remind me. Okay, so in, and I might, to any Jewish friends who are listening, I apologize if I mispronounce your, your Hebrew. But it is the first, it, it is a representative, as I understand it, of the letter Shin, which, the, the hand signal, the live long and prosper hand signal, which mm-hmm. is the first word in the Hebrew for Shaddad, the first letter in the word Shaddad, which means God. And when they do the... S- invic-
1: Sadat or sabat,
0: Shadat. Like okay. S-H. I think, again, didn't take Hebrew school. I'm a Catholic Greek Orthodox kid. But... As that's how I understand it. Now, this is, but he, that's how he created it. Is During the invocation in temple, they have you close your eyes so the presence of God may enter the temple. And they hold up these symbols. The, they hold up on both hands. The, the rabbis hold up their hands in the symbol of live long and prosper. Leonard Nimoy, when he was a young boy, told close your eyes. And, of course, he was a kid, so he opens his eyes and he sees them making that hand signal. And that's where live long and prosper comes from. Nice organic thing that he came up with for a quick scene. The problem is, is once Vulcan culture got kind of known through that scene, CBS and Gene Roddenberry decided to monetize it, which is where there is a there is a metal called the idic, infinite diversity and infinite converse, an infinite uh, combination, and. It's this little medal that Spock wears in one scene. And Leonard Nemo goes, well, why am I wearing this? I've never worn this on the uniform before. And they go, well, you know, it's just a symbol of, of Vulcan heritage, blah, 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 blah. And he's asking them, he's asking them, he's asking them. And then it finally came out to be this. They wanted to sell the medal. So wear the damn medal. Now, it's a little thing. It's a stupid thing. But Nemo always says, you know, it's kind of shady to just kind of throw that in there for the sake of merchandising watch the prequels again and you know every jedi has a very distinct lightsaber blade and color so you can sell all the different lightsaber blades and colors there's any number of new characters introduced in any given scene so you can sell action figures of those characters it's it's a money grab and you've kind of got that reputation and now you're opening up a museum using again Taxpayer Monday and this TIF initiative that as I understand it essentially locks them in at a tax rate and allows them to not, the city doesn't really make any money off of it and the idea being that you're going to drive up tourism revenue with your ego project with your name on the door and finally before we get out of here AJ let me tell you something about the name on the door, the Lucas Museum of Art if I was doing a museum of anything I would not have the balls to name it after myself.
1: Right. Of course.
0: There are no teachers you can name it after. You can't name it after even your father or your mother or somebody who was inspirational to get you there. No, it needs to have your name on it so that your legacy is protected. That shit robber barons do. That's some Carnegie shit. You know? And Mm. that's, that's just wrong to me it just everything what? about this project feels wrong
1: no absolutely and you know a couple a couple of things one um, you're right it's um, el Sadat, which is almighty god in hebrew see i could have gotten through hebrew school <clears throat> so could so could i <clears throat> um,
0: Wait, as long you? as i had google what as long as i had as long as if i had had google I would have made it right. through Hebrew school just fine.
1: Right, right. Um, and second, you know, I, I like to incur. I mean, here's the thing. I'm going to go, maybe not opening day, but as soon as it, it dies down, okay? Because I really want to see what they're doing. From that moment forward, um, I'm going to protest it. <laughs> you know, because... This shouldn't be here at all. You know? Um so I'm gonna do the ones through and be like, okay, and then from that moment forward I'm just going to encourage people to protest it because this is honest to God, horseshit. Yeah, yeah. It really absolutely is horseshit. And going back to like names, you know, I'm trying to figure out Adler, I mean, wasn't Adler a f- astrophysicist? Well, as yeah. I
0: mean, if you go through and look at uh, where these names come from and all of that, you know, there, there are names for things, but it's not named for the guy who started it, I don't believe.
1: No, and, I mean, that's what I'm trying to figure out, because, I mean, it's actually in honor of... No, nope, it was. Max no, Adler,
0: Plan- Adler Planetarium is, uh, is also a vanity project named for Max Adler, who is a businessman... Uh, Yeah, no, he named it for himself. And so, let's see, the Shed?
1: uh, Well, I mean, because he was was the professor of astronomy at North Washington University and then was appointed as the first director of the planetarium.
0: Right, but it was his idea to to do it, as from what I understand. And Shed Aquarium was also named for, yeah, Um, and the Field Museum is named for Marshall Field. So our whole thing about, you know, people not naming it for themselves is just out the window because everybody is just arrogant and wants their names on stuff. You know, Carnegie Hall, best example of all of them. Right. Which, for the record, for those of you who don't know the history of Carnegie Hall, it was actually built by Andrew Carnegie uh, after his country club killed like a 1,000 people because they refused to fix a dam uh, on their country club property. Right. You know, and that was all done as uh, PR, just to throw it out there. Maybe George Lucas killed a bunch of people that we don't know about, and this is his way, this is his Carnegie moment.
1: He's using ewoks as slaves.
0: that would be a very good use for ewoks
1: and people like RTD too the
0: now, now now you're getting into a whole other thing, which is listen, before this movie comes out, you and I are going to have an hour long discussion about droids as slave culture
1: okay oh, it's, oh, because it's the droids true. the
0: droids are slaves, and we need to be out protesting in defense of droid rights okay droid lives
1: matter, AJ they do I so know. three things, three summarized things. George Lucas is the contemporary version of Andy Warhol. Okay. Uh, Andrew Carnegie. Huh?
0: No, he's the contemporary version of Andy Carnegie. Don't, don't give him Warhol. He's not Warhol.
1: Well, Warhol in the sense that he kind of bastardizes things. Okay. Um, second, um, go through the museum once. If you feel the same sentiment that Nick and I do, protest with us. And third... Um, Droid Lives Matter. Well, that okay. Fourth and the third, you know, um, Lucas, you motherfucker, uh, you have money. Use it.
0: Yeah, don't use our money that we desperately, <laughs> desperately need.
1: You have four point eight billion dollars. You're okay.
0: Yeah, you're set. You know, <laughs> not to me- not to mention the fact, by the way, that his wife is probably worth more than worth more than you because she was the CEO oh, of yeah. a major investment firm. You guys got money. You don't need the tax breaks be a good citizen, and pay your full fucking amount in taxes.
1: And if you're going to have a museum here, live in Chicago.
0: Also a good thing. Yeah. Uh, And there's nothing that pisses Chicagoans off more than out-of-towners. Right? (laughs) I mean, realistically, right? Actually, that's not true. People who leave Chicago go live in L.A. and then come back and claim to be Chicagoans. Screw you,
1: Vince Vaughn. And you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen the museum is going to be, like, somewhat popular, and the Lucas Museum is going to be pissed off because people are going to Bears games and, you know, kind of encroaching on Oh,
0: yeah, no, that's the, that's the best part of this whole deal is that it's on that same plot of property with that one turnoff of Lakeshore Drive where it shoots down that one road that every Sunday, unless you're going to a Bears game, you can't take. Right. You know, that, that little, that, the, the worst design in parking in history... Mm-hmm. you built all of those new parking lots, but there's only one damn road to get there, and it's a one-way road? Right. It's the worst design in the history of of mass tra- transportation. What they should have done is just built an L-track that takes you right to the freaking stadium and oh. built the parking lot somewhere over on the, on the east side of the river.
1: If you can do it for Comiskey Park and Wrigley, you can do it for – and United – United Arena.
0: Well, not to mention, isn't that isn't that train yard right there? Isn't the CTA's main mm-hmm. like repair hub right there with all of those tracks running right to it?
1: Oh yeah, and you're not far from the Roosevelt Station. Take that George Ryan's Lucas right money there. and
0: build a goddamn L spur or subway spur that lets you off right near the stadium.
1: Or Metra, because yeah. the Metra electric line goes right there too.
0: Or take George Lucas's $4 billion and build a highway extension that allows you to go east to west north of Willow Road, for right. God's sakes. Everywhere else in the city, you can go east-west pretty easy on a highway. The only place that you can is up north, and you've got to drive down Palatine Road, which is always under construction anyway. But that's a different podcast for a different day. You
1: and I should be running the Lucas Museum.
0: Uh, you don't. I mean, I should be running the Lucas Museum and then just look at him and go, get all your Star Wars shit back. <laughs> And you'd be like, why? I said, because then people will come here. You know the whole thing? If you build it, they will come? Yeah, if, they, if you build it and fill it with Star Wars junk, then they will come. If you just build it and build up, here's a thing on Orson Welles' Citizen Kane, a movie that most of you have never seen nor cared to, no one's showing up,
1: pal. Because if I was the designer for that museum, it would absolutely look like the Death Star. Right.
0: It's stuff like that, like little stuff like, oh, well, I don't want my whole legacy and my museum to be about Star Wars. Motherf- you made $4 billion making Star Wars. Be proud of what you've done. That's the other thing with him with this stuff is that I feel like he's ashamed of the fact that he's so ingrained in nerd culture. Don't you?
1: Oh, he's not, he's not the only one.
0: I hate that about those kinds of filmmakers. It drives me nuts. It's like, oh, well, I'm going to do this really over-the-top, high-minded, artsy-fartsy, you know narrative art museum, and it's like, dude, build a Star Wars museum. It's like, well, I don't want my whole legacy to be Star Wars. Guess what, pal? Your whole legacy is Star Wars. That's who you are. That's what you did. You've accomplished more with that than most people will ever even dream of accomplishing in their lifetime. And the fact that you're ashamed of it makes me mad, because I love your, I love that stuff. And for you to act like it's not as important as this other stuff is insulting, because I will say this right now. In the history of American culture, not cinema, but culture, okay, Star Wars is more important than Citizen Kane. Well, absolutely, it just is. You know, it's the same thing as going like, which is the more important book? Is it To, is it, uh, to Kill a Mockingbird? Or is it, you know, Harada, I, 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 I'm trying to think of a comparison. Or is it Mark Twain's The Adventure of Tom Sawyer? To Kill a Mockingbird is a very important book. But you know what people read more and have a more identifying with? You know, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. There are Because something is more popular does mean that it's more important. And to act like, oh, well, you don't think so because you're not smart enough to know how important Citizen Kane is. No, screw you. I see movies. I know what I like. And I know what I don't like. And I don't like this, this movie. And I don't think a lot of other people do too. And I don't think anybody really likes the story. They like the cinematography, what was accomplished with the camera. That doesn't make your movie good. There are beautifully shot movies and beautifully shot television shows that are pieces of shit. Absolutely. So, you know, and the other thing we got to do one time is then we could spend, spend another entire podcast talking about F. Scott Fitzgerald and what a waste of space that book, The Great Gatsby, is. Right. All right. Uh, AJ, anything else?
1: George Lucas is a fraud.
0: George Lucas is a fraud and uh, not nearly as nice as his interviews would imply other than that ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening to this edition of Outfront episode 8 coming up later in the week we will have episode 9 we don't know what we're doing yet but we'll let you know when we do other than that uh, find us on Facebook find us on Twitter Chicago Podcast 1 on Twitter Chicago Podcast Network on Facebook we are on Instagram though we don't really use it very much Uh, and we are on Google Plus if you are one of the ancient civilizations that still attempts to try to use that other than that Thank you so much for listening ladies and gentlemen. We out. This has been a production of the Chicago Podcast Network theme music provided by the Free Music Archive Morning Blue by Josh Woodward. That's Josh Woodward on the Free Music Archive. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Gmail. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas,
1: half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it.